Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Amen. The Lord. It's so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Last week I was not able to be with you. And this week I am here and it's nice to be among you, you people. God bless you here this morning. God bless you. Amen. I am going to give you handouts today. Now the handouts that I'm going to pass out to you today is dated for last week. It, it'll say on there uh, November the 1st. Actually, today's is November November the uh, 8th and uh, you change that date with your pen or something but uh, I have on that November 1st so it's the wrong date because I had it scheduled for last week and I'm going to pick up where I left off week before last where we talked about uh, chapter 14 some events and things that happened in chapter 14 and uh, 20 uh, chapter uh, 14 while you're getting your handouts let me just mention to you here what we looked at the first five verses in last week's lesson. And we talked about the 144,000 that would be gathered together on Mount Zion with Christ. And they sing a new song, which is the song of praise. We talked about that with you. There's uh, songs of praise. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he brought a new dimension of God's plan for the human race. And that was that God would, he loved the human race and he wants to save the whole world. That's why his name is called Savior. Jesus means Jehovah hath become salvation or, or Jehovah or Yahweh, whichever word you want to use is salvation. And so Jesus came and that word Jesus means Jehovah or God Almighty is salvation. Praise the Lord. So that it's not just us obeying the commandments but it's also realizing that he saves us. And a second dimension to that truth is that we should praise the Lord for that. Praise him. And worship and praise is part of our walk with God. It's not just obeying the commandments as they did in the Old Testament, but it was also rejoicing. David understood that. And we talked about that week before last. David understood that very well. This is what David picked up about God. God wants us to praise him because of his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his kindness to us in everything and to give him praise and glory and not just obey the commandments out of I'm supposed to do it and if I don't I get zapped or whatever, you know, that kind of an attitude. No, 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 I'm going to praise God and thank him and worship him. As you well know, David, when he brought the ark into Jerusalem, he danced before the Lord and his wife at that time, she laughed at him because she says, you made yourself a a fool in front of all the people acting like a jest out there dancing with the Lord. He said, I did it as unto the Lord and I won't ever stop doing it as unto the Lord. Praise God. And God blessed him and honored him tremendously and tremendously in Israel for doing that. Praise God. And of course, Jesus Christ was the direct descendant of David as the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ was both God and man, as you well know. I won't go any further into that only to say that we're picking up here now in the 14th chapter. Everybody have their handouts? And I'm gonna pick out up in number two, if you look at number two here, and uh, I want you to look with me in Revelations 14, verse six. I'm gonna put this up on the screen, and this is what you have in your hand. And I'm gonna put it up there where you can see it there. All right. Focus. 
There we go. And then I'm going to zoom in. Get real close to it. So you can see it up there and you'll know what I'm pointing to. One more. One more. <laughs> All right. Everybody see that okay? All right. Now, we're going to start here with number two, where, where it's addressed to the Gentile. Look at this very carefully, carefully if you would, right here. Now, <clears throat> I want you to turn with us to Revelations 14.6. 14.6 in your Bibles. Praise God. And I saw another angel. Look at this closely now. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach. An angel is flying through heaven here, preaching to the multitudes of people that are headed for a lot of trouble because the Antichrist is on the loose and he's bringing all the world together, folks. And that is going to happen. That is going to come. And he's going to bring all the world together and it's going to be against God, against Jesus Christ, against righteousness, against holiness, and it's going to be toward the devil. And that spirit will be sweeping the world at that time. And the Lord sends an angel to preach the everlasting gospel one more time, one more time. This is very interesting because the Lord wants to give the human race another chance to turn away from the Antichrist and be saved. Now, to be saved, you'll, it'll cost you your life because they have already established that if they don't worship the Antichrist or his image or his name or his number, they're going to be killed. And so this was the chance for them to not do so. Also, the Lord using the angel is a deviation from God's initial plan for the gospel to be preached in all the world. He told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so he commanded them to preach the gospel. So it's given unto mankind, unto men, and then women, of course, as well, God uses women when men don't step up to the plate. Let me just put it like that. And so somebody said, well, I don't believe in women preachers. Well, maybe if, you, if God called you and you didn't go, maybe he had to use a woman. So forget that little theory that some people got. But I think originally he meant for men to carry the bulk of it. But if men didn't live, live up to what God called them to do, then God would choose a woman here and there and so forth. Now, away from that subject, let me just say this. It was God's will that uh, men preach the gospel. I want you to look just for a moment over here in Acts chapter 10. I'm going someplace with this, so hang in here with me. Chapter 10 and verse 6. This is a man by the name of Cornelius. Uh, let, me read, let me read the first verse to you. 10-1. 10-1. Thank you. I appreciate those people upstairs. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, the centurion of the band of the Italian band. He's Gentile, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave uh, much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Good man. Good man is praying man, seeking the Lord. Verse 3, he saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour. This is between 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, according to the old time. 
about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, this is an angel now, showed up and said to him, and he said to him, Cornelius, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For you said, what it says? That's not what it says. Look what, what, what the angel said to Cornelius when he showed up in the vision. He said to him, uh, verse four, and when he looked up, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose name, surname is Peter, verse six. He lodged with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now notice here, the angel didn't come and tell him what to do, but the angel came and told him to send for this man and he'll tell you what to do. Everybody get the point? Because it was God's design and a plan from the very beginning for the gospel to be preached by people. Praise the Lord. That's why that burden is upon us. It'll always be with us till Jesus comes. But here in the very end, in the tribulation period, when the Antichrist is romping, the Lord sends an angel to preach the gospel one more time. One more time. Look at this. And I'm going to read this uh, sixth verse again. This is in the 14th chapter, verse six. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. This is Gentiles now. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. In other words, worship the one who has made everything. And he made it all by himself and there is nobody else with him and he is our savior and he's the one that's due worship. Not the antichrist, not anything else that would like to try to pretend that they are the ones to be worshiped. And this is, this is why God was always against idolatry of any kind. It was, a, it was an approach to God to put up an idol and start worshiping that thing in behalf of some other being that existed when there is no being but, but God alone. God is the only one. He made everything. He made the heavens. He made the earth. Uh, who was it I heard not long ago gave us a number of how many stars there are out there. And it's into the billions. And yet the Bible says he knows them all by name. The Bible says that two places. God knows the stars by name. They're out there. And he made the earth and everything on it. I was sitting in my, sitting on my patio the other day and I was looking at all the plants, just inside the patio, outside the plant, just plants. I started counting them, different kinds. They're all different. And they've all have survived since the beginning of plants, the beginning of the, of the earth. They've all survived. They're not new ones that just came on the scene that evolved from something else. They survived because God gave them that instinct in them and that, that wisdom of God inside that little old plant to know how to survive. It's not a brain in there. There's no brain in there. It's just what God put in there. That's just, that's just what I'm just looking at on my patio. And the earth is full of that animal life, sea life, bird life. You know, it, it just goes on and on. The wisdom of God that is in all of that. He is worthy then of all of our praise, folks. All of our praise. Nobody else, nothing else, and, and nothing at all, but only God. Now, let me uh, just for a moment here show you something. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 43. 
I'm going to read a few verses to you here. This is what the Lord said about himself and why he is worthy of our praise. This is uh, Isaiah 43 and 3. 43 and 3. Thank you, guys. All right. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He's telling Israel this. Look at verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Notice that. This is a good one to let us know, too, there's no Trinity. Look at 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, his referring to Israel, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and Israel's Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God. Look at verse eight. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee that, uh, from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. In other words, there's none beside the Lord. Look in 45.5. I'm just hitting a few verses. I'm skipping a bunch of the others. I'm just hitting a few. Five, 45, five, excuse me. <coughs> I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I gird thee though thou hast not known me. Verse six, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Look over in verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he that established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Look at verse 21. I'm just going to read the latter part of verse 21. Just save time here, 21. I'll just pick it up down where it says, have not I the Lord. Have not I the Lord, no, there, and, and there is no God. In the next line. And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. I am God and there is none else. And I'll read one more. That's in 46, chapter 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So I'm just trying to point out to you here <clears throat> that there is nobody else to worship. So Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. God Almighty manifest in flesh and there is nobody else. You don't have to worry about offending anybody. I remember hearing one time a Trinitarian tell me that they have to be careful. They don't pray to Jesus more than to the Father or pray for the Father more than to the Holy Ghost. I said, no, 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 you don't have to worry about it. Just Pray to Jesus Christ and pray to God Almighty. He's all the same. He's all the same. It's all one. He's all one. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And if you don't understand that, God will give you that understanding. <laughs> the Bible said it comes from the God. It comes from the Father. I won't go any further with that. So I'm just pointing out to you here that this uh, message that he gave, praise the Lord, was a great and wonderful message of hope that he gave. Praise God. Now, uh, let me say another word here about... Uh, the Lord 
If God made us, he has a right to judge us. God made us, he has a right to judge us. But because of his grace, we can be saved through faith. We can be saved through faith. By his grace, we are saved. And that through faith. Through faith is our believing him. Praise the Lord. I won't go into detail on that. But God, praise the Lord, will save us. And this number two here, this, I mean, this uh, one that we're reading here to you, God's last call to repentance, the angel, praise the Lord, started preaching to him here in these verses that we've just got through reading to you, uh, six through seven, praise the Lord. The angel started preaching unto them, and the Lord wanted them to know that they can all be saved, praise God. Let me just say one word here to you. The Lord wants everybody to be saved. He is so just, folks. He is so just. God, the Bible says he's just to forgive us of our sins. You know, a lot of us have been rascals. In fact, let me just say it in one word. All of us have been rascals all of our lives. But somewhere along the way, God in his grace reached down and brought us out of the miry clay and set us on the solid rock to stay. Solid rock. Praise God. Don't ever get off of that rock. Don't slide off of it. Don't, get, don't let it get slippery. Stay faithful to God. God will keep his hand on us. And one day we'll hear the trumpet sound. Praise God. We'll rise to meet the Lord in the air. But stay faithful to God in all things. And God will always be good to us. Praise the Lord. But uh, the Lord wants us to understand this about Noah. When Noah went into the ark and he built that ark, it took 120 years to build that ark. They lived longer back in those days than we do today. It took them 120 years to build that ark. And they would say, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark because God's going to send a flood and going to destroy the whole earth. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And it went on and on, year in, year out. They kept building that ark, kept building that ark. And they'd come by and look at that. Noah's getting a little further down the line. He's building the ark, you know. And they'd say, Noah, Dry sand, dry sand. Ain't no, there's no water coming here. What are you talking about? There's not going to be no flood. You got an ark sitting out here in the middle of dry land. This, there's not going to be no flood. You know, I don't see nothing. The sky looks fine. Everything looks fine to me. It's clear. <clears throat> they couldn't see anything. They didn't believe anything. And he says, the Lord is going to send a flood, but if you get in the ark when it's built, you'll be saved. Ha, ha, ha. Now, folks... We believe in the second coming of Christ. The church is the ark. If you get in the church, you can be saved. But now there's going to be people that won't believe that. They're not going to believe it. They, they, you know, they can hear it. They can hear you or something. They won't, some of them won't believe it. But there will be some that will believe it, but they won't believe it. Others will not. Now, let me go a little bit further. This is my point. When it was all done and God had put the animals in and put Noah and his family in the ark, and as soon as they all walked in, he slammed the door shut, right? Wrong. The door stayed wide open. And people started driving around, where's Noah? Right they're in the ark. You say he's there in the ark? Yeah, they're in the ark. Well, what about the flood? I don't, I don't see no flood. I don't need to see a little flood either. He's been in there. He was in there yesterday. They went in there yesterday. This is the second day. Third day, fourth day, they gather around, looked in there. Noah and his family in the ark? Yeah, the door's wide open. And he said, if you want to be saved, get in the ark. The door's wide open. 
Notice that the, do- the Lord left the door open seven days. That was the grace of God extended. That's like this angel flying in the midst of them and saying, repent and turn to Jesus Christ and worship God now, even at the very end, when God is gonna send judgment upon them, he's still giving them one more chance to turn to him and be saved and not lose their soul for eternity. I'm just pointing out to you the great grace of God. And after seven days, when it's all over with, the end of seven days, the door shut tight. God shut it. And when God shut it, it couldn't be opened anymore. And then the floods came. And as you know, that generation all perished. Everybody perished. And of course, no one in his family did not. And the animals that were inside the ark did not. Now, I'm only pointing all of that out to you because God's grace was extended there when he left that door standing wide open. Let me point out something else to you here. And that is that God honors repentance. He honors repentance. It's amazing how he does. I've got in your notes there, uh, Jonah 3 and 5. Turn to Jonah for just a moment here. Uh, Jonah chapter 3 and verse, I'm going to read verse 4. In your notes, I've got 5 through 10. Look at verse 4. Look at this very closely with me. I'm going to start with with the the fourth verse. Jonah 3, 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city. This is after the whale swallowed him and spit him up. And the Lord said to him the second time, now go into Nineveh and preach to them and tell them I'm going to destroy the city. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was his message. That's all he had to say. Now Jonah didn't care for Nineveh. Nineveh was a Gentile city. And uh, he knew it was a threat to Israel if they ever got too powerful and stuff like that. He wasn't interested in Jonah being saved. I mean, Nineveh being saved. Jonah was interested in just having to do what God told him to do. So here I am. I'm here preaching to God. So he didn't preach and said, if, if you don't repent, you're going to be lost. He didn't say that. He just said Nineveh is going to be destroyed in three days, in 40 days. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God by the words of Jonah and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes. He, he humbled himself and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them, not, let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloths and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. They had no guarantee that if they repented in the most humble way that God would spare them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jonah didn't say repent or else. He just went there and said, Jonah's going to be destroyed. It's all, it's all over with for you guys. And they humbled themselves and repented 
just by chance that God would be merciful and God would show his grace upon them. Praise the Lord. And look what the next verse says, verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had. Repent, repented means he turned, turned away from that. Uh, repentance means having a bowed face or uh, have a change of attitude. And God repented or had a change of attitude of the evil that he had. That is, that is the judgment that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not only because they repented and there was no guarantee of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's an angel flying here in Revelations through the midst of these Gentiles. And the Lord is saying to them, go tell the people to repent of their sins and worship God. Who knows what God might do, you know, in this very hour for you and through you. Praise the Lord. So I'm just showing you here the great mercies of God, the kindness of God, how that God is merciful to us in a lot of things and in a lot of ways. Praise the Lord. Also in your, your, verse, your scriptures there is also uh, revelations uh, of the scripture that I referred to in a minute. Let me refer you here to chapter 9, verse 20 for a minute. This is going back in revelations, but it talks about how that men were warned about the judgments of God and their attitude. This is in chapter 9. I'm going back now. This is, we're in chapter 14. This is what happened whenever there was a third of men killed. This is a 9, 18. Third of the men of the world were killed. Verse 9 and 20 says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorcerers, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. In other words, with all of that happened to them, they still did not repent. So this shows you, shows you here that men in that day would just keep on getting worse. Now, let me say one word here to all of us here today. I'm just speaking from my heart. This is Bishop Myers talking, but the world's getting in bad shape, folks, and America is getting in bad shape. I fear for our nation. I fear for our nation. The presidential election has nothing to do with it. I'm talking about the morality, the morality of our nation. Uh, I fear for America because we are seeing immorality increasing more and more and more and more. And it keeps building and it keeps building and it keeps getting worse. Uh, nowadays, even on a, on a little TV show, they'll say something derogatory about Christianity. They'll throw a curve at us. Uh, my wife and I were watching one that's real bland and very, you know, just, uh, next to nothing as far as offense is concerned to anybody, uh, no bad language or anything like that. And I heard the guy said, somebody said, a knock on the door. And they said, who's out there? And somebody said, maybe it's the rapture. What on the TV show? Maybe it's the rapture. And I thought that has to be somebody or somebody put that in the script that knows something about the coming of the Lord, you know? And they put it in there as a mockery. Maybe it's the rapture. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's the rapture. You know what I'm saying? This is, the, this is the attitude that's developed in America. And I worry about our nation, a nation that has had the fear of God to a degree and is getting more and more away from that. And I'm not trying to be political here in any sense. I'm just talking, I'm being moral here. I'm trying to be, talk to you in the morality sense. 
that we need to be to understand that we need to draw close to God. I don't know what's going to happen in this world, but I know the church needs to get close to God. We need to get very close to God, walk with God, believe the Lord. There is still a, a people to be saved out there. There's a lot of people out there right now that don't know which way to turn, which way to go, what's going to happen. They see the handwriting on the wall. They know the same things I just told you. They know what's happening. The, uh, the big increase of uh, homosexuality in America, people, young people not knowing whether they're male or female. I mean, that's ludicrous, you know. I told somebody the other day, I said, told them, I think it's my wife. I said, all they got to do is go in their bedroom, take off their clothes, look in the mirror. They know what they are. You don't, have to, you don't try to ask anybody or figure it all out. There you are. You know, God, God, God made it right. He did it right. Praise the Lord. But people mess up kids' minds and they grow up and they don't know what to believe and what to think and, and so forth. And we're getting more and more into this kind of a society that we're in today. Well, I guess I'm an old man talking about the youth. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I'm just trying to point out to you here that I think that it is getting close to the coming of the Lord. And the Lord wants us to be aware that he wants us to live for him and, say, and follow him. Praise God. Uh, I'm going to go here to, uh, I'm going to go here to, to number three, if you would, with me very quickly here. I know our time's running out. It's, we've uh, still got a little time here. Number three here talks about Revelation 14.8. Look at 14.8 with me. There followed another angel. Now, I told you before that the 14th chapter of Revelation is a prophetic chapter within a prophetic book. Now, this eighth verse is a prophecy about the fall of Babylon. That sounds strange. It sounds out of, out of place. That fall of Babylon comes from way over in, uh, over in the Old Testament. Babylon, that was a great, great empire that uh, overcame Israel at one point. And then they fell. And uh, here's talking about it again. And that fallen another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And uh, this is talking about idolatry. Ancient Babylon was the beginning of idolatry. I don't have the time to go into it now, but there's a tremendous Bible study that I give on the beginning of idolatry. Idolatry began way back there in the fourth generation of Noah, fourth generation, fourth generation, by a man by the name of Nimrod. And, uh, and they, he and his wife and following them, they established idolatry as a way of worship to get people not to worship God, but to worship things on this earth. And he was a great mighty man. And when he died, he died early. I won't get into all that detail. But he died young because of his strength and tackling some big animal that killed him. Uh, his wife said that he was divine. And that when she had a baby, uh, she said the baby was from him even though he was dead. And, and, and so you, you started a real weird thing here. A worshiping of, of these false gods and things. I won't get into all the detail there, but it's all in history. It's, it's very, very plainly spoken of. And then Babylon later as an empire, they rose and they had that same idolatry attitude that they carried. 
Uh, I'm only saying all of that to tell you this, that this is where it all began. So the Lord deals not so much with the old country or the old uh, empire of Babylon, but he deals with the idolatry that it introduced to the world. And he deals with that in chapter 17 and 18. When we get there, we'll be talking about it. We talk about Babylon. Also, Babylon is mentioned also in chapter 16 as well. And it talks about uh, Babylon. so I won't get it over in the 1619. And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and the great Babylon came in remembrance before the Lord. This is 1619 is mentioned there, but it, does, it really doesn't get into it until the 17th chapter of Revelation, which I will not get into at this point. So I'm just pointing out to you here that this third number three here refers here to this fall of Babylon that we're gonna be talking about more a little later on in chapters 17 and 18. Now go to number four here, and I want you to look with us here, uh, 14, nine through 11. Look at this with me. Everybody there? And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast, I'm in 14, nine. If any man worship the beast in his image, that's the antichrist, and receive his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, I wanna put a little emphasis here on the part about shall drink of the wine and the wrath of God. While you're still there in that 14th chapter, uh, look very quickly over to verse 19. This is uh, 14, 19. Let me back it up to the 18th verse. And another angel, this is the 18th verse of chapter 16, uh, 14, I'm sorry, 14, 16. I guess I'm getting you people next up. 14, 18, thank you. Another angel came out of the altar which had the power over fire and cried with a loud voice to them that had the sharp sickle, saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of vine of the earth, that's grapes, <clears throat> for her grapes are fully ripe. Verse 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Look at verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs, which is 200 miles. And I'm uh, <clears throat> pointing all of this out to show you that this is a prophecy of, of Armageddon, that Armageddon is right around the corner. And when you look at the time element involved here, we're like within a year or a year and a half or maybe even closer to that, months to the Armageddon happening. And this is a prophecy of Armageddon happening in which all the armies of the world will be gathered together in one place and it will be an army, it'll be at Armageddon. Uh, there's a city called Megiddo that is in the uh, northern Israel that's on the southern side of the, uh, the 
Valley of Jezreel. And it's called Megiddo. It's on a little plain high up the valley. And uh, the mountains of Megiddo are just south of that. And uh, I have been up in the mountains and looked down and seen the city down there. And Megiddo, I never have been to Megiddo, but it's a, but this Mount Megiddo means mountains. I mean, Armageddon means mountains of Megiddo. And so uh, Armageddon is also in God's plan here. If you look over in chapter 16 and verse 16, 16, 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, Armageddon. And uh, Armageddon is where they'll come. And that whole area there is going to be a tremendous battle. It's going to be one of the greatest battles ever fought on the face of the earth in the last days. And when it does, the Lord's coming back with 10,000s of his saints. And he is going to kill the wicked, destroy them. And it's called the wine of the press is full. And this wine thing that's mentioned here is spoken of in a lot of scriptures round about uh, in the verses of the Bible. Uh, let me just give you an idea here what I'm talking about. Over here in Psalms 75 and 8. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup, and the wine is red, and it is full of mixture. And he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. This is, uh, this is over in Psalms. Here's another verse of scripture that's found in Joel. Joel 3.13. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get ye down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their winepress is great. Verse 15, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Speaking about that particular time, <clears throat> going very quickly over here to Jeremiah. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Jeremiah uh, 25, 15, 25, 15. All right. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, and then take the wine cup of this fury at my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to drink it. Verse 27 of that same chapter. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord of the host of God of Israel, drink ye and, and be drunken and spew and fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. Jumping down to the latter part of, of verse 30. I'm just going to read the latter part of it latter part of 30. I'll pick it up there. The Lord shall roar from on high uh, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grates against all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 31. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He shall plead with all flesh. He shall give them that are wicked to the sword. Verse 33, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. Now that's very disastrous, but I'm just showing you here that that's what's coming at the end of this tribulation. And this is what the 14th chapter here speaks to us a lot about and my time is up. And next week we're going to be getting into some end things, talk in a wind up sort of a situation. I want to talk to you a little bit more about this uh, uh, this uh, 17, 18 chapters 
here of the book of Revelation here, the Babylon, the, the uh, sins of the Old Testament and also the sins of the New Testament. Let's stand and give God the praise. Aren't you glad you know the Lord, folks? I know this is the negative side, but it shows us what's coming on the earth. And if we walk with God and serve him, God will keep his hand on us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We believe you. We worship your wonderful name. We glorify you, Lord. You're great and greatly to be praised. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us all. Bless our morning service that we're about to enter into in Jesus' name.